Good morning, church. I see a lot of the compassion kits have arrived, so in case you forgot, it's okay okay to bring them uh, next Friday. And um, it's so good to hear from Kashif and Hayden last week to share with you a little bit about what that looks like. And uh, you saw the video, but Kashif and uh, invited me to go to one of their Compassion Kid parties this past Wednesday night out of Salam City. And um, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing um, to uh, share with these guys. There's like 30, and uh, 35 of these men gathered together to hear the gospel. And um, seven or eight, I think, eight of them accepted Christ as their Savior. And um, so there was two men from the On Island Church and myself that went with Kasha to help out, so they allowed us to take the boxes and hand them to these men. And they were just smiles on their faces and just blessed. And so, you know, they're always looking for volunteers, so if you feel like uh, you would like to have that, such an experience and just be a part of that ministry, just contact Kasha. He's, he's ready to take some people with him. And um, it was a great uh, to see all the boxes go out, 120 of them, that's more than ever before. And, uh, and there were some people who talked to me this morning, they had extra bags, and they didn't have a box, they just brought the bags, and I'm sure they'll find boxes for them, so, you know, what an opportunity for us to serve together. All right. Well, wow, church, you know, it is so good to, you know, one of the biggest blessings I have when I come to ECC Off-Island is just getting to worship with all of you and sing these songs of praise. Um, You know, I can get together with the Lord throughout the week often as I do and study and read and pray, but I don't get the experience of just singing together with so many voices and praising God. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, I know I'm, I'm speaking for all of us, it's just a, it's a huge blessing, and I'm just thankful to be a part of that with you, to share that time of praise and worship with you as we sing. Um, I want to look at a passage of scripture in the book of Mark, chapter 10, so if you have your Bible, you want to follow along with me, Mark chapter 10, and it's a, it is the, uh, the account of Jesus speaking with the rich young ruler. And so let's read this account. And he was setting out on his journey. A man, and this is speaking of Jesus, as he was setting out on his journey, A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. 
honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Wow. Kind of a sad story, isn't it? Some, you have someone who runs up to see Jesus and has a conversation, a little exchange, and uh, he ends up walking away disheartened and sad. I ask you to hang in there a little bit because I think there is, that's an important sadness for him to feel. Maybe you know this sadness, but it's important. There's a gospel message in this that Jesus gave to the man, and it's powerful, powerful. And so what I want us to consider here as we begin to look at that, this is if we read this with a little bit more than just a cursory reading, you know, when you just kind of like, uh, oh yeah, this morning I'm on Mark chapter 10 and I got to, to leave to work in just a second, so let me get this chapter read. You know how I, I, I've done this, you know, you read through really quick and you get the idea, but sometimes it does good for the heart to camp out and just say, God, what, what, what's here? What is, what is in this for me? So if we go a little deeper, you know, maybe if it's just cursory, we, we look at this story and we think to ourselves, wow, uh, here's another entitled rich man, right? He goes running up to Christ and he says, you know, what, what's one thing? Maybe he's thinking in his mind, what's one more thing? You know, I've got the commandments done here. What's one thing I can do to have, to inherit internal life? And then Jesus Tells him, you just lack one thing, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the guy says, you know, that's, that's more than I, I bargained for. I'm, like, I'm not into that. He walks away sad. I don't think that's fair to look at the story and maybe just look at it that way. I think we need to look a little bit more carefully at this story. And... Um, and I don't know where this story, usually when I'm reading, and, and one of the things that is my practice, and, and, and I know it's yours, most of us do this, right? We, we read a story, we try to project ourselves into the story, thinking, to, how does this fit me? You know, how would I react, and how would I behave, and what would have I done, you know, if I wanted to meet Jesus and go ask him some questions? And, you know, you put yourself into this story, and you think, well, man, this, this wouldn't be me, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a rich young ruler, but it is you and it is me because we desire eternal life. And um, God may not ask for your riches, but he may ask for what you have, whatever that might be. So I don't know where this finds you. Maybe you are already a believer this morning. We, there's a lot of people here. I fellowship with you and 
and I know you, and some of I don't know you, but I just get to greet you and, and try to learn names, and many of you are believers. That's where you're at this morning. Your heart is in this context where I, you, you think to yourself, I know this Jesus, and I know what this one thing is, and I know what he's talking about. And I would just encourage you this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture and, and, and as a believer, see that you're in the right place. See that you're in the right place in your thinking, in your heart, that you, that you know what this one thing is, or that you don't lack it in any way. And some of you might be um, thinking, because you're on some kind of journey, and you're thinking, wow, what's really required of me? I mean, I like what this rich man's doing. He's, he, he, he wants to, eternity. He wants to inherit it. He wants it to be his. He wants to be able to, to live forever. You know, and, and so you think, what is really that, that Jesus would require of me? Would he require me to sell everything and just live like Jesus, kind of on the streets, and whoever would open their home up to him? And, would he require this of me? Is this just a special case? Probably, right? This is just a special case. He didn't ask all believers this kind of thing. Mm, no, don't think that for one second. This is not a special case. This is something he asks every believer, everybody who would want to be a believer. Every seeker has to make a choice here. So maybe you're, you're in this place, you know, thinking to yourself, well, what, what is required of me? Maybe you, you have some measurable doubts in your heart and mind and, and Satan's trying to take away the, the faith that you have. So don't let that happen. Don't let that happen at all. But, but look to God. And, and it ought to be our hearts and say, Lord, what, what do you require of me? I, I, I don't want to be remiss. I don't want to be hanging on to something that you desire and you want from me. And then maybe some of you are like, exactly like this rich man. Maybe you don't hold the same station in life that he had, but you're seeking. And you have the same question. And if you were given the opportunity, you would take it. And you would go to Jesus and you would say, good teacher, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I like the question. I really like the question. It's a very serious question. And it's one that everybody needs to ask. I feel like this kind of a question is just in our in our genetic makeup, if I could say that. I feel like it's just in us because even when, before I was a believer, you know, you have this sense that, that you as a person, is, there's some kind of permanence in that. You're created in, in an extraordinary way. You know, we talk about the goodness and greatness of God, and we want to say a lot about that this morning. You know, God created all of the heavens and all of the universe and all of the stars and not long ago, we got to hear Louis Giglio talk about he just breathed out the stars, and he talked about how big they were, and they're just little dots in the sky to us. And in the big picture of it all, they're not very big, but they are enormous, and, and we're somehow so really tiny. And, and, but the most incredible thing in this God who's created everything is that he created you, and he created me, and he did something when he created you and me that he didn't do in any other context. And he said, he said... To the Father, or to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, let us create man in our own image. So we're created in an image of God, even though fallen and, and then redeemed. We're created in this way, so it's like this built-in sense of that eternity needs to be there. It doesn't seem to make sense without it. 
feel so sorry for those people who, who live life and they just don't, they just think, you know, I don't believe in God, can't explain it. I just, I'm more happy with thinking just, uh, you know, you live your life out, whatever number of years, do the best you can, and that's just it. Just close the chapter on that. Wow, that just doesn't give you much encouragement along the way. Even the best of situations, it just doesn't give you much encouragement along the way. Just something I write about that. I remember seeing this picture someone sent me. You've probably seen it. It probably circles Facebook or something. But it had this, this beautiful home, you know. It had trees and green. That's the first thing I noticed since we live here now. And it had these trees and this greenery, and it was a stone house and two floors. It had a high gable roof, and it just looked really nice. And it's like said down here, belongs to the, a rich man. And then on this side, it looked like a refugee camp, you know, just this makeshift little lean-to kind of thing with some old material hanging on, and this is the poor man. Okay, so you have this extremes, one side or the other. And then underneath of it, if you've seen this picture, what was under the caption, of the, not the caption, but underneath this picture was two open graves. They looked identical. You know, and, and what it's saying is that it doesn't matter how you live your life, this, this is, you're going to die. Wow, really? You know, that's sobering to anybody. But we don't accept that. We know we have this sense inside of us, and then we, as believers, we read the scriptures, and we know that God says, I'm planning, I, you know, I'm dying for you, that you can live forever and be with me. And uh, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there's many abiding places, many mansions, as the King James would read. And I go to prepare a place for you, and when I get done, I'm going to come and get you. So eternity is something that's just there. So it's really good to see people ask such serious questions. He wanted an answer. Now, let's make a couple of observations here. One of the things that I realize about this rich man that makes my heart go out to him was, you know, first of all, he was rich, and he was young, and he was a ruler. Those are really good things to go together in, in, in a non-believer's world. And... Um, I'm kind of curious is why I didn't get one of his top advisors to go check this out for me. Go, go find that guy They're running around Jerusalem, Galilee, and all the region. Ask him some questions for me. Find out. He wasn't. And he wasn't even like Nicodemus. He didn't go to Christ at night and kind of sneak in at not, under, the, under the darkness of night to, so nobody would see him and, and inquire about divine and holy things. What did he do? Well... He was watching for him. He knew who Jesus was. Perhaps he'd seen him often. I would guess he saw him often. He heard many stories, and he would go hear him, and he would see him, and these things would stick in his mind, and it would stick in his heart, and he would ponder over them at night, and he'd just think and think and think, and, and he, would just, he was filled with this stuff, and he says, I need to know. So he, he doesn't, he doesn't he, and he's, not, he's probably a Pharisee, right? He's rich, and he's young. He's a ruler. He understands the commandments. Probably not a Sadducee. Eternity meant something to him. Sadducees, they just don't believe in the resurrection. And so he just comes in a unique way. He goes for himself. He wants to find the, the way, the truth, and the life for himself, right? And, he, and he's waiting. I, I see him somehow waiting. And Jesus, actually, you know what Jesus is doing? He's embarking on a journey. He actually leaves wherever he's staying that night in Galilee somewhere. 
and he's leaving on a journey, this journey, this particular journey that Christ's on leads him to Jerusalem for his last time, before his crucifixion. And um, so he's waiting for Jesus. As soon as he steps out of wherever and he begins to walk on this journey, the rich man goes straight to him. Not entitled, like we might expect. What does he do? You know, the scriptures say he just, he ran, doesn't it? He was he didn't waste time. He ran to Christ and he goes down to his knees. And he says, good teacher. Good master. What do I need to do to have eternal life? You know what I like about this? It reminds me of some scriptures of promise and scriptures of assurance. It makes me think about what Jesus and the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of this man as it makes me think about what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life and in your life because the Holy Spirit is fast at work in our lives, leading us to, to accepting him as our Lord and Savior, leading us to grow in our faith and trust in him. It's a lifelong process. We read this so short, but I think in my life, from the time where I thought I desired eternal life till I knew what this one thing really was, wasn't just an hour or two. It wasn't a nice, good sermon I heard somewhere. It was a whole bunch of messages. It was a whole bunch of lots of things, a whole bunch of years for me and maybe for you and maybe for this rich man. I don't think the chapter's closed on this guy's life. But there was necessary hard work to be done in his life. He was a seeker, and he wanted to know. And he was humble enough to go straight to Christ to ask these things. So I think about these scriptures that I'm so grateful for. I'm grateful for them for Kashif and Fam, people who go out, and missionaries who go out to the field, and they're sharing Christ, and for you and I who share with our neighbors and people, co-workers, and with our families, there's hope because we know for a fact that that. Jesus says, no one can come to the Father except the Holy Spirit draws him. So there's a work going on. There's a drawing. No one comes. Nobody, nobody's righteous. Nobody's holy. Not even one person. And then, we, and then God stirs in someone's heart. He stirs in yours. He stirs in mine. He stirs in this rich man. He comes to find out about eternal life. So, we look at this, the man was respectable, right? He was humble. He came with questions, good questions. You know, when I was thinking about this, I thought all the years I've been a teacher and teaching mathematics is, uh, is a challenge. You know, when you're teaching a subject that's everybody's favorite, right? It's a super challenge. And I've learned something as a teacher in a classroom, and it's the same in this country as any other place I've ever taught before. I just love questions. I really do, because I can just discern the question so quickly. You know, after you've done it a while, you think, you know, sometimes I'm sitting there, and I don't say it out loud, but I think, wow, this is a really good question, because you don't even know what you're talking about, but it's going to get you in the right place. It's going to take you in the right road. You have no idea what you just asked, but I know that you need to know, and I know what I can fill in for you. And so I help a person understand mathematics. And then it's pretty cool when the lights come on, and they're like, oh, all of a sudden, I, you know, people can go from hating math to loving it in like one second. I've seen this happen before. It's like as soon as they understand it, they love it. If they don't understand it, they hate it. 
So questions are just good like this. And this man asks this kind of question. It's a serious question. It's, Lord, what do I need to do to have eternal life? So I, I like this. I, I feel like he's just, you know, it's too important to let it go. You know, have you ever had questions? Have you ever sat in a classroom and you had questions? You can just sit there. You know, if, if you're a praying person, if you're a believer, you like praying someone else ask it so you don't have to. Or maybe you're not a Christian you're just praying anyway. You know, I've heard people pray before. Oh, somebody, please ask this question because I don't want to. You know, this was too important of a question. He, he had to ask it. He, didn't let it. he didn't leave it over to someone else to go and ask this question. He said, I've got to go ask this question. I've got to see Jesus. I've got to ask him. I've heard so much, and I've seen so much from him. I've got to ask him. His, mar- his knowledge of Christ was marginal. His knowledge of Jesus was marginal. And I would even say his knowledge of God as a Pharisee was marginal. He just didn't get it all together. And... Um, this is who he was. He's a bit of a legalist, you know. He was kind of pleased with himself. I just, you know, I don't know how exactly how the conversation is. Probably longer than the few verses we read. But, you know, he goes to the Lord and he inquires. And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And Jesus went through. There's actually the second table. If you look at that closely, he just goes to the second table. The, the sixth commandments where it shows man's responsibility to, to fellow man. You know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't defraud your neighbor, honor your father and mother. And and I don't know, but it almost reads like he interrupted Jesus, you know. Got it. I've been doing these from the time I was like this big. From my youth, I've been taking care of this stuff. My parents told me it was important. I've been taking care of it. So I don't know how he felt, but I got it. And Jesus, I, I like this. I like this. He says, the rich man says, teacher, all of these I have kept from my, from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, and I like to just think about what that vision might have been. Just looked at him. And then it says, he loved him. He loved him. And he said to him, you just lack one thing. Just lack one thing. Of course, he told him, you've got to go sell everything you have and feed the poor and come follow me. So, you know, he, he was really thinking, he was probably thinking this one more thing really meant that, um, okay, I've got all these commandments I've taken care of, and I've just got one more thing on the list. What is it? Give it to me, you know. And um, there was a conflict in his heart, probably from the beginning, right? Why would he come? Not every Pharisee came like this. Not every rich guy, young rich guy, young rich ruler guy would come to Christ like this without some kind of conflict in his house. I mean, it looked like he had enough to just feel like every other Pharisee. Man, I got it together. But there was some kind of conflict in his heart, stirred up by the power of the Spirit of God, by the power of what he's been hearing and seeing in Christ. And so this is what we're looking at, you know. Mark had said not just a few chapters before this when he quoted Isaiah. He says, well, did Isaiah the prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, we've heard this many times. In vain they do worship me teaching his doctrines and commandments of men. You, he said, Isaiah said, you leave the commandment of God and you hold on to the traditions of men. So there was a disparity there that Mark talks about just a few chapters earlier. And even in the life of this rich man, there is something that doesn't settle in his heart. 
There's a, there's a, a conflict. And Jesus said, yeah, there is a conflict. You lack just one thing. A willingness to sell everything you have. You lack something. So, I want us to look at Jesus' answers. You know, he says, why do you call me good? You know, I think that's interesting, right? And then the, the one thing. And then contemplate this man's decision. Why do you call me good? Now, Jesus is not saying I'm, he's not good. Jesus is good. But he tells this man who came and said, good master. He just wants this man. You know, isn't that the way it is sometimes? And if you notice, if you read through the Gospels, that's Jesus. That's his way. This is his strategy is almost. Somebody asks a question and he asks another one. Or he, he, he just seems to go down a completely different path. And I'm, I don't know if the rich man felt this way, but maybe he was thinking to himself, could you just answer my question? I'm like terrible. My students ask a question, and I want to give them the whole history of math in that whole area, you know, and I just want to pour it all out there. And they're like, really? I just want to know one. Does this become a negative or a positive? That's all I want to know. You know? And you know, he wanted to know, and Jesus says, why, 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 do you, why do you call me good? Only, there's only one good. God alone is good. And I believe what Jesus was after was is the rich man called him good. Maybe he had a different understanding of what good was and needed to fix that. He needed that man to contemplate. There's some heart work that needed to go on about what is good. Why do you call me good? I believe Jesus was assisting his faith, trying to help him out a little bit and say, you know what, you're asking for eternity and you really don't even know what it means. Not, not the kind of eternity I offer. You don't even know what it means. Matter of fact, I think it would be true to say if Christ would have given him this eternity as this man was thinking of eternity, he wouldn't be very happy. First of all, Jesus wouldn't be there. It's not, not, not the eternity that our Lord is talking about. He wanted this young man to understand good. If he saw that Jesus was good and he was right, he was right on Jesus is good. And everything he heard about Christ, everything he saw and witnessed himself, Jesus was good but they're one and the same. And if you're coming to the person who is the absolute good, it might arrest absolute attention from us. We would really look to him and say, ooh, God is good. What is he going to say to me? You know, I believe we're in a context today where we need people who can stand up with conviction and say, I own that God is good. I own this. I believe this. I embrace this. God is good. And then makes a move on that. Too often it's not. There's like seeming like some lesser good out there. I don't know. This, you know, this people that, well, you know, I think it would be a great conversation, maybe even among believers, right, where if we could just get together with, over coffee sometimes and just talk with each other and let's just talk about what's, what, what makes God good. How is it that God is good to you and good in your life and good for you? You know, not the kind of conversation that's, that, that, that starts out with, oh, like, I read a book and it was amazing and it talked about how God was good. Those are, I have read those books and not all of them. I read some of them. I'm like lifted up and I, I enjoy them and I've shared them with friends of mine. I said, you have to read this book. It's really good. But talk about God is good to you. How is he good to you? Gonna, you know, you might hear some things that are, really, you know, 
like God. He's good to me because he, you know, I, it's hard to say some of this stuff and not be offensive. And I really don't want to be offensive at all. But, you know, he, 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 he healed my dog. God is really good. You know, he, he, um, you know he, he helped me pay my bill. I had a big bill and he helped me pay it. And I was sick and I felt terrible and he healed me and I felt good. And uh, by themselves, by themselves, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. God does all kinds of things for us. He just he's, he's good in that way. But there's a goodness about God that it seems like the church at large is losing sight of this. And that's why I say sometimes sit down with someone and just get into the practice of talking about the, how good God is and how amazing he is. I can't wait. Matthew's going to teach us on through the book of Jonah, talking about God's extravagant love. That we need to hear. Because in that, there's going to come out this, this good of God. It's so good and so amazing. It is so much so good, and His love is so extravagant that nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Captivated by the Apostle Paul said, it is the love of God that constrains us. Not all of the prayers that he answers for me, not all the prosperity that he brings to me, not all the the good things and circumstances that he brings to me that that just makes me hang on to him. I mean, I'm hanging on to God because everything in my life happens, just falls out good. You know, David said in one of his psalms, he praised God for the life God had given him. He says, my lot has fallen out in pleasant places. I like that. Because you know why? I know a little bit about David's life, and so do you. And according to the world, he, there were not a lot of pleasant places in King David's life. He had many struggles, so much. Breakdown in his family, in his ministry, his rule as a king, so much, so much trouble, so much difficulty. But with God, he was good. He was so thankful how God worked in his life. So when he asked this man, you know, you call me good, are you, are you really getting that I'm good? You know I'm good. You really know it. Do you embrace that I am good? Do you trust me that I am good? So it becomes pretty important for us to consider. I think a really important thing for the rich man, Jesus probably already, he already knows that the guy's going to turn and kind of go away. Salvation might not come to his house today, maybe tomorrow. But he gave him some really important things to, to work over in his heart and his mind. And we get to the second thing, and it says, Jesus says to the rich man, you, you really just lack one thing. And this, the thing, that what he lacked is this one thing is actually the only thing. It's not one thing more. It's really the only thing. You desire eternity. You don't understand what eternity is because what he would tell him is the eternity is me. I'm eternity for you. you. The thing that you lack is loving me. You know, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, four, it was man's responsibility to God, and then the six was man's responsibility to man, and he abbreviated those things for us. He gave us the shorter version. He says, the first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your 
soul. Love the Lord. Be sold out to Him. Reserve nothing, but be completely sold out to God. It's important that those were the first four, and then the last, the sixth, are going to be in line. Love thy neighbor as yourself. You'll lack one thing, and that what you lack is loving me. You're choosing earthly treasure over heavenly treasure. Jesus says, sell it all. I kind of think that the man was rich, young ruler. I don't think he was probably even married at this time in his life. Sell everything. Just come follow me. Jesus says, you'll have treasure in heaven. Right? He said, you'll have treasure in heaven. It bothers me sometimes when I talk a certain way. I put myself there first because I hear my friends talk this way too, my believing friends who I love and I'm a brother to. And we we got to be careful of our language. That we doesn't sound like we just acquiesce all the time and just come down. I, I guess I'll just take whatever God gives me. Oh. Is he good? Is God good? Amen. Then why are we why are we like I just take whatever He gives me? If I got to sell my stuff, hate that. I hate that. Sell my stuff. Just came through Easter, and uh, and then we're going to hear about God's extravagant love. And I think about this. I think about how amazing God's love is. That God Himself came in the flesh and said, "Nobody, nobody told this to Peter, right? Nobody takes my life, but the sword away. Stop! I'm laying it down." Jesus loved us so much, he says, I'm going to become your righteousness because you can't keep the law. I'm going to become this for you. I love you this much. That something's going to happen that you may never understand in the kingdom of heaven. The the pain on the cross was, was horrific, right? The pain that God felt was horrific. The pain that the Holy Spirit felt was horrific. Because the divine God that we know was wrenched apart because of sin. God died. That's extravagant. That's amazing love. And, and I feel like God has is, is like done all of this stuff for us. He's got this great love, this God who can create and do anything. He's the ultimate good. He's done all of this stuff for us. And we like hold back all the time. There's this, this great love that comes down that what goes up to him? He said, you just lack one thing. And so Jesus said, let's get that out of the way. Sell everything you have. Because he knew with what passion this rich young ruler held on to his riches. It's comfortable being rich in this world when you have no other hope. And he knew with what passion. He said, sell, sell everything, give it to the poor. And Jesus says, and I love these words. Remember, he, 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 he was looking at the man and he said, and he loved him. You know, Marcus is, you have the same account in Matthew and Luke, but Mark's the one that brings that up. And he says, and he loved him. And so, sell everything, and he says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. 
Another way to, to translate is, a, is God saying, come walk with me. Your treasures will be instantly restored. Come walk with me. Too, wow. Too many of us see Christianity as this big uh, uh, list of do's and don'ts. You've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you can't do that, and you can't do this. You know, and we associate our whole life around church and religion around these do's and don'ts and stuff. Whatever happened to, to just loving God and just saying whatever, it's okay. It's okay. God wants us to fall in love with him. I think that's why John Mark puts it like this. Why Mark says Jesus loved him because he was about to reveal to this man what was needed. What was needed is the rich man to love Christ. You need to love me. I love you extravagantly. I've held nothing back from you. I've given you everything. You're hesitating here. He wanted to follow Christ on some easier terms, didn't he? Most of us do if we're not careful. The enemy will talk us into some lesser following. What I think is really interesting about this passage, this rich man, as far as his heart was, makes a very fair play for eternity, doesn't he? Makes a very fair play. He, he, he has his head together as much as possible. He goes before the Lord, and when, when he realizes he, couldn't, he can't do this, he doesn't pretend anything. He doesn't pretend anything. He just walks away. Brokenhearted, sad, without hope. You know what I thought was really interesting why I, give a, I, I look forward to potentially we get to meet this man? You know what I really like about this? When he walked away, was he not still rich and young and a ruler, but not happy? Broken broken because something's going on in his heart and life. You know, we got to look in our own heart and life. Have we been broken? You know, sometimes I, I imagine this is true. We're just a little bit afraid of what God will ask of us. Can he ask too much of you? Is that what it comes down to? God may ask too much of me. Wow. I would weep before him and say, Lord, let it never be true that you would ask something of me that I would hold on to and say no. But I think on the authority of God's word, he's going to ask us this, something like this, maybe more times than one. Is there something you hold on to and you just can't let it go? Maybe Abraham, you wait 70-something years for a child, 25 years for the promise of a child. Wow. You can just imagine the first day that little Isaac was born. Holds him to himself. God, you're so good. And you're so faithful. You promised this. And when I thought it could never happen, it happened. And Sarah, the same way. This child in their old age. Wow. He got a little older. And 
Abraham, I don't know. His pride grew. I got a son. People look at me and say, you are an old man. I have a son from God. Maybe Isaac started to replace God. It happens in our life. God says, bring your son. I want you to offer him a sacrifice on the altar to me. Whoa, I don't want to talk about that all now, but you, you've got the gist of that. And Abraham, Abraham was like caught up with himself and said, Whoa. Worked some stuff through in his heart and mind and realized something. He realized God is good. He's been so faithful to me. I cannot hold this back from him. And he went to the mountain to offer his son, and God says, Stop. Stop right there. I see that you're not holding back anything from me. Ask that God in your life would bring you such trial and such testing. So important, you all. You understand this? Jesus is not, wow, you know, he's not the kind of preacher we see today, is he? You know, it's like, do... I've watched churches over the last three or four decades do just about everything you can think of to fill these chairs and um, be good, become better salesmen than they are preachers of the gospel. And Jesus was like, you know, people would come to him and want to follow him. He's like, well, I don't know. Birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes. I don't even have a place to lay down. You want to follow me? Yeah, I do. I would give up anything. Anything. No matter what. Because I get to be with you. That's what Jesus was saying. Jesus loved this man and he wanted him to have eternity. But it's with him. Jesus would tell the the rich young ruler, I'm going to be there too. I want you to love me. Why is it so hard for Christians to to just want to love God like he's loved them. Why is it so hard to let go and say, God, let God, you know, we can, we can just give testimony after testimony after testimony in our lives to, to one another, how God's been good and where we felt desperate and we felt like it couldn't happen and next thing we know it happened and God's so good and we just had to be patient and wait. Over and over and over these things happen. We testify of them, but then we, get, or we let our hearts get pulled away and we think that all of a sudden God's going to be a little less than good this time. Really? Can we ever imagine that that could ever be true? I have a few things here as we start to wrap up. Jesus says, come walk with me. What does that look like? Spend time, not just from what I'm saying this morning, but spend time thinking about that. What does that mean to walk with God? What does that mean? You know, walking with God is, is walking into love and learning to love Him. Learning to love God. You know, sometimes you've you got to be honest. Sometimes you, you, we, get, we might get our head around this, how much God loves us and all that He did for us and how faithful He is to us in life. And we can talk about how good he is, but sometimes we know if we're honest with ourselves, we think, you know, I don't, I don't love God enough. Well, you know what? That's okay. It's not okay not to love God. It's okay that you're just being honest with yourself. You know, where, where does it come from? 
Where does, where, does it come, where does it come from? It comes from the power of the Spirit of God in us that cries out. Is it, is it the old man that cries out, Abba, Father? Is that what the Scriptures teach us? The old man cries out, Abba, Father? No. It's the Spirit of God in us that cries out, Father. Abba, Father. Daddy. You're mine. I love you. Walking with God is... Is walking into his love. Going with him. Going on a walk with him. We can, we can exaggerate. I, I don't know what this is. If it's me. It's a, this is why I don't mess with computers. Every time I get close to them, they do stuff weird. My wife always has to come fix it, and she fixes it. And it's the same thing I did, and it's just my whatever. Sorry. You know, we can exaggerate many things. Tozier makes this statement. We can exaggerate many things, but we can never, ever exaggerate our obligation to Jesus or the compassionate abundance of the love of Jesus to us. You cannot exaggerate that. We don't see it clearly sometimes. But you can't exaggerate it. It's magnificent. It is amazing. So walking with God is like the ultimate invitation into his presence. It's the greatest treasure. There's no, no measure of circumstances that can rob us of his love. We're walking with him. He's good. I'm not worried. Everything around me can be wrong and, 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 and corrupted and, and evil and, and imperfect. I'm, I'm not worried about that. I don't like to get around people that watch, read too much news. They start getting crazy about the way the world's going. Where does the Bible promise the world's just going to get to be a better and better place and in one day it's just going to be amazing here? It doesn't say that anywhere. It's just going to go, the world's going to go more and more and more corrupt all the time. I just think, wow, it's getting close. It's getting close. I don't get fearful. I don't get fearful. I don't get fearful for my family. I don't get fearful for my wife. Said, hang on to the Lord. Walk with Him. Walking with God means we're not constantly pointing out a different direction. That's what it means to walk with God. Not sitting here and carefully going through things and giving God a new plan. This is going to work much better. It fits my budget. This is going to be better because of this or this or this. It's just accepting from whatever God's plan is for your life. Walking with God is just quietly sitting in his presence. And I mean quietly. Not quietly sitting there, what should I say? <laughs> I do that sometimes. Just sitting there. Just sitting there. Not allowing anything else to occupy your mind, but just the glory and beauty of God. Saying nothing. Thinking of nothing to say. Just taking it in. That's walking with God. Sitting in his presence. Walking with God is hating sin and walking far away from it, hating sin because he hated it. It cost him the life of his son. He hated it so much. It cost him the life of his son to redeem you and me. Walking with God is letting God be jealous for you. You know, I looked this word up because I've been hearing this so much lately and I like it. But I looked the word up in the dictionary. I like to look up words that I know. 
I don't often look up the words I don't know, but I like to look up the words I do know. You know what it says? Jealousy tolerates neither rivalry or unfaithfulness. It tolerates neither rivalry or unfaithfulness. God's jealous over you. He wants all of you, not a part of you. Walking with God is delighting in divine mystery. It's being okay with not understanding every single thing out there. You know, Jesus was teaching a story, teaching truth to the disciples. In John chapter 6, you can read the full part of that. And and he he actually teaches some some pretty deep theology to the disciples, to the apostles. And and it got to be a little too much. And uh, as theology often does, and these guys were like walking away. Not the 12, but the others are just walking away. And Jesus looks and says, will you also walk away to the 12? Will you also walk away? And Peter said, no. And Peter said, no, I get it. I understand this. He didn't say that. He said, no, I'm not going to walk away. He goes, I don't know it all. and I can't understand it all, but this much I do know. Thou art the son of the living God. You have the truth. And I'm not walking away from that. I understand all this stuff, but I'm not walking away. And that's what happens, you all. As we Let me bring this to a close. You know, the man walked away sad and disheartened and sorrowful. He believed God was good, but he, he didn't think he was good enough to, um, to say, I, I'm going to embrace God. But really seeing the goodness of God and the love of God is just embracing Him, willing to lose everything to gain everything. His expectations were dashed. This was not what he bargained for. You know, we got to think to ourselves, where does our faith lie? Where does our faith lie? Why is it always churches today, you know, and and maybe I'm just speaking from across America, but they're always trying to put something in there, accept Christ and this and this and this and this, and they're always trying to lure people in and and all kinds of these things. And it's like, why isn't it just we're taught to love God, to to trust him, and and, and quit letting it be a battle all the time. I have wrestled with this. I said, I don't want it to be a battle in my life. I just want to say, God, whatever, and it's okay. And I'm, I, I, I pray, give me opportunities to do this because I don't want to be fooled. I don't want the enemy to gain some kind of ground on me. I want to be sold out. I want to go to God and just enjoy him and walk with him. I encourage you to spend time with God, cry out to him and say, Lord, help me to love you more. That's okay to pray that. Help me to love you more. Tell me, God, I don't love you enough. When I think about how much you love me, I don't love you enough. Help me to love you more. This is what we need to pray for. Paul said so many ways, in so many ways, he would say to, the, to those that he ministered to in the churches throughout Asia, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. How many times do you think he heard people say, where, where were you, Paul? We were looking for you last week. Well, I was shipwrecked. Uh, God, I was in prison. They stoned me and left me for dead in Lystra. They, I, I shipwrecked again. I was beaten, thrown in prison again. 
today's pastors would tell them, you know what, Paul, you, you, the reason why you're having so much trouble, let me tell you why you're having so much trouble, because you, your heart's not right. You know, you've got to live right, Paul. You can't just keep living like that. God's punishing. Paul said it over and over. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. He told his hearers, don't be ashamed of my bonds, my chains. Don't be ashamed of those things. They're really good because, you know, I got thrown in prison, but wow. Got to sing songs, and, and the jailer got saved. And his whole family got saved. It's good things. I'm not ashamed. We need to be such believers that we're not ashamed. Whatever happens, I'm not ashamed. It's okay. I'm walking with God. It's all right. It's okay. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this word and, and truth. Father, I just pray that in our lives you would draw us to you, bring us with serious questions that inquire. And Father, lead us to the right kind of thinking. Lord, help us to be sold out and to, to, to embrace you and have conviction that you are good. You are only good. And Lord, for those that might be just seeking, I pray, Father, that you would settle on their heart that you do and love them. That it won't be easy, but it will be the right thing to do. And you will bless them beyond measure. Lord, you are a good God and we love you. We thank you for everything you do for us. So all that you're going to do in our lives. We praise you. We praise you for every hardship, for every trial. We thank you for the abundant good things you put up, pour out from heaven upon us, for the blessings that you rain on us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand even as we uh, close in singing.